Hello, and welcome to Explaining Brazil, a new podcast brought to you by the Brazilian Report in partnership with HuffPost Brazil. My name is Kira Long, and I'm a contributing writer at the Brazilian Report. In this space, we'll talk about Brazilian politics, economics, and social issues. So far, we've discussed the federal intervention in Rio de Janeiro and re-election possibilities for, Brazil, for Brazil's current president, Michel Temer. Today, we'll be looking at Brazil's economic recovery. We're without Diego Erajeta, editor-in-chief at HuffPost Brazil. So this week, I'll be talking to Gustavo Ribeiro, the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. Hello, Chiara. It's great having you back to our podcast. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Great, thank you. So, last week, the OECD published a report detailing its projections for Brazil's economic outlook. The government's been telling anyone who listens that Brazil left its long recession and returned to growth in June of last year. But growth isn't quite reaching economists' expectations yet. So we wanted to ask, how solid is Brazil's economic recovery? Yeah, like you said, we had a positive GDP result after uh, three years of very bad results. But uh, it was only 1%, which is already something uh, when you compare to 2015 and 16, when uh, the GDP shrank by 3.5% in each year. Uh, But yeah, uh, while a lot of indicators show uh, that Brazil has emerged from one of its worst recessions ever, uh, people on the streets don't feel like the recession is over. And that's because um, unemployment rates remain very high. Salaries, uh, salary bumps are very, um, very little. And uh, there's still a lack of confidence by everyday Brazilians. Uh, Brazilians don't feel like they can go shopping again and everything is going to be fine. A lot of uh, opinion polls shows that uh, for most Brazilians, the the crisis is still going on. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are still definitely feeling the effect. If we skip forward to now, Brazil's GDP is still predicted to grow by about 3% over the course of this year, over the course of 2018. Um, but it fell short last year of its targets. Um, factors yeah. that, that it influenced this. No, and uh, uh, kind of detailed in, in the OECD report, which we'll get into in a minute. There's been a horizontal and steady growth across most sectors. The labor reforms are supposed to have helped, but there are still some big underlying structural problems that seem to be getting in the way of Brazil's return to solid growth. Yes, uh, you mentioned the labor reform, uh, which was advertised as a way uh, to stimulate hiring from companies and to uh, lower. Uh, unemployment rates, which um, from that perspective, the reform is an utter failure because what it has led to is the precarization of labor. We have uh, a lot of informal works, workers, and uh, the number of, for instance, self-employed persons went up by 4%. Um, Actually, this economic recovery is more like um, a great result for the agribusiness sector, which grew by 13%. But like you said, uh, most sectors of the economy flatlined in in 2017. It's it's not... uh, Right, because, I mean, the Brazil's exit from recession was largely credited to 
the agribusiness sector in general, they had a bumper harvest last year, right? Exactly. And uh, that super harvest is already having some side effects because coffee prices went down due to an excess of uh, offer. And uh, what is problematic about Brazil and uh, what makes us think that this might not be uh, as sustainable of a recovery as we might, we wanted to is that um, Brazilians' investment ratings are uh, at its lowest point since 1999, uh, only 15% of the GDP. And uh, if you don't invest, it's very difficult to grow, especially coming from such a precarious position as Brazil has. Right. And also, if you look at how international markets are looking at Brazil, uh, I think Brazil got downgraded by both Fitch and S&P quite recently, didn't it? Yes. Yes, uh, we have been pushed further into junk territory. And, uh, well, like we said, agribusiness has been the engine of Brazilian economy. And this week, uh, the week started with very bad news for for the agribusiness uh, sector. There was a, a new phase of Operation Weak Flash, which is a, an operation investigating how meat companies have bribed uh, sanitary inspectors to essentially sell rotten meat. Uh, last year was the first phase, and uh, roughly 20 countries um, suspended uh, or limited imports from Brazilian pork, poultry, and beef. And now it's strike two this year. Uh, on Monday, uh, the federal police raided uh, BRF, which is Brazil's second largest meat producer, uh, and the whole sector over the course of one day lost 6.3 billion reais, which is almost $2 billion in one day. Yeah, it was quite a revelation. Um, I think a lot of people were quite surprised if the stock market's anything to judge by. Um, the former CEO, Pedro, Pedro Fario, was also arrested, wasn't he? As was uh, former deputy CEO, Elios Ruben Santos. Yes, exactly. And uh, it's not the first time that Brazilian... Brazil is one of the top meat producers in the world, but it's not the first time that uh, we are accused of uh, selling rotten meat. Uh, uh, last year, the European Commission threatened to... Uh, suspend all imports of meat products from Brazil, whether it's poultry, pork, or beef. And now we're just giving uh, a, an excellent opportunity for competitors to lobby for uh, um, for restrictions against Brazilian products and to increase their market share. No, absolutely. I'm a little concerned that we might get some of the same things that we saw uh, less than a year ago with the last phase of this operation, um, which was, you know, you had these shipments of meat that had already left the port, kind of just stopped in the sea um, around the ports because countries didn't want to import the things that they had that they were buying because of the, com the risk of contamination. Yeah. And uh, even in Brazil, uh, uh, there, there could be a, a bump in... Uh, in consumption, because I remember last year, after the scandal, you you went to to supermarkets and people were 
We're, we're not that eager to go to the meat section. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this operation isn't the only thing recently within the last week that's had that could have a serious impact on Brazil's economic outlook. There's also Trump's announcement on the steel tariff that I think could have a really big impact. Didn't he say that he wants to introduce tariffs for up to 10% on aluminium and 25% on steel goods? I mean, that doesn't sound like it's particularly good for Brazil. Yes, Brazil is the second uh, provide uh, second country um, exporting steel goods to to the U.S. Just trailing behind Canada, and uh, last year we exported like eight billion dollars, and one third of everything we export in terms of steel goods go to the U.S. So, anything that might restrict that or uh, impair the competitiveness of Brazilian uh, companies, it's uh, uh, it's no wonder that the, the Brazil's government expressed quote unquote uh, deep concerns about this this Trump decision. I mean, I think Temer is also going to try and negotiate with with the U.S. government, which doesn't necessarily fill me with hope given his track record with diplomacy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I remember when Temer went to Norway last year. And uh, he was greeted by... That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> exactly. The, the deputy director of the airport. <laughs> not, not even uh, a member of the cabinet or anything. No. no. But, so there are a lot of other reasons that Brazil's economic recovery, even outside of those two things that have just happened in the last week, there are a lot of other reasons that Brazil's recovery might not be as smooth as, as we think or as analysts are hoping. Um, I know that unemployment is still fairly high. I think there's more than 12.7 million people who are currently unemployed. And like you said, a lot of there's a lot of informal employment as well. But this, this leaves a significant hole, I think. Um, and you also, I think you also reported recently about how there will be some differences in how each state recovers economically and how this supposed recovery might not necessarily be as broad and as sweeping as one might hope. Yeah. Uh, in Brazil, uh, uh, poorer states are getting left behind and far behind. And uh, states of the south and southeast, which have better infrastructure, uh, a better, uh, higher GDP per capita. Uh, those states are, are getting their their stuff together, uh, and it, uh, it's a bit. We 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 reported in January uh, about how uh, poor Brazilians are still not feeling the economic recovery, and uh, I have some data here. For instance, uh, among poor Brazilians. Um, only 6% believe that uh, inflation rates have decreased, which they have. So it, it shows uh, that purchasing power has gone way down because if the inflation is down and you still believe the prices are going up, it's because you've lost your purchasing power. And 53% uh, say that money's tighter. Uh, only 49% think they cannot save money right now because they don't have money to save. And uh, a lot of the main worries in Brazilians' minds is I don't have money for my monthly expenses uh, and I will lose my job eventually. So we talk about 
a lot about how people living from paycheck to paycheck live, how, how hard it is. But there are a lot of people who are not even in that category of paycheck to paycheck. They, their paycheck is not enough for their monthly expenses, actually. I mean, I've done some reporting on Wolfsa Familia, on the kind of lowest income families, and that was certainly true of them. But I think that what a lot of people maybe don't realize is that exactly as you said, that sort of precarity is much more widespread uh, than you might imagine. And it's not necessarily changing despite kind of the rhetoric of the current government and of the finance minister, Amy Kimmerales in particular, saying we are recovering and this is all great. Like you said in the podcast last week about what he uh, what he promotes on his Facebook page, for example, all the positive news about Brazil's economy and just kind of ignoring anything that doesn't fit with that narrative. Yes. Uh, and uh, the, the problem is uh, if Sao Paulo is recovering, it doesn't mean that Brazil as a whole is recovering. Sao Paulo is the heart of the industry, is where the Brazilian GDP essentially is, but uh, we have uh, uh, 26 other states, and uh, um, uh, things are, are rough uh, in a lot of states. Uh, there, there's no money for public investments. We have seen the case in Rio, but uh, there's always a lot of other states who are struggle to 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 provide basic services, and um, public investment in Brazil as a whole, 15% of, of the GDP, and it's not nearly enough, especially for a country like Brazil. Uh, and uh, I think one of the, the problems for the Brazilian economy as well is that, uh, and uh, OCD uh, talked about it, is how isolated we are from the global economy, how... Uh, we have suffered the bad consequences of globalization, but we have not profited anything because of the way that we isolate ourselves and we create barriers. And uh, it, it, it's not a protectionism with uh, a clear goal, because protectionism is not bad in itself. As long as you have a project of modernizing your industry, of uh, giving your industry time to get competitive. And uh, I actually don't see here in Brazil. I think a lot of uh, companies just profit from barriers to make an extra buck, but not to modernize themselves. Yeah, and the distortion is such here that it means that some things are... Certain costs are much, much higher for a lot of Brazilians as a, as a direct result of that. Things like... Basic phone call costs, I think, are eight times higher in Brazil than they are in the U.S. Yeah, speaking of phone, uh, do you remember uh, a few years ago it was less expensive to get a plane ticket, go to Miami, buy an iPhone, sleep one night and come back than to buy an iPhone here in Brazil? I, I have definitely read things to, to that extent and heard things um, about that as well. There is some speculation that the recent rises in plastic surgeries being done in Brazil are actually the same social class, but they can no longer afford to go to Miami to do it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like you said, um, the government needs to uh, push through um, a narrative that everything is getting better or everything is fine right now. And uh, uh, 
more or less when you open the newspaper here in Brazil, you you, you see that narrative uh, dominating the 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 coverage. But in your opinion, uh, is is it? Just a presidential bid by Henrique Meirelles is just to make him viable for uh, the October presidential election, or is there something else in it? Well, I think he's certainly toying with the idea. He's currently polling at 1%, I think, which is not particularly high, although it's not that much lower than most of the other candidates at this point in time. Um He would have to resign by the 1st of April this year if he decided to run. I honestly don't know if he if he's genuinely thinking about it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of decided at the last minute or managed to strike a deal with or a partnership with somebody else at the last minute. What do you think? I think he really wants to run for president, but I, uh, I don't believe that uh, it will be easy for him to get a party to go on board because... Um, Right now, it seems to me nearly impossible for him because uh, for him to get to 4%, he would have to uh, uh, multiply by 4 the amount of votings, voting intention he has. Um, I, don't he, I don't see him as a viable candidate. I see him as a potentially very good vice presidential candidate for someone who wants to... Um, sell an image of being at the pol center of the political spectrum. And uh, Enrique Medellis is the market's darling. So having him in, in your in your ticket might be a good option for guys like São Paulo Governor Geraldo Alckmin, who is a center-right guy. Um, to have him paired with a guy like Medellis makes sense, maybe for both, but I don't know if Uh, Medellis ego uh, will allow him to to take the back seat in a in a presidential ballot. Yeah, I mean Medellis' focus um, on kind of making austerity economics work for Brazil certainly gives him the air of the reputation of the sort of person who could maybe push for the pension reform post elections. Um, the pension reform is something that the OECD said in its report is absolutely fundamental for Brazil's return to economic growth. I think it said that Brazil's GDP, approximately 35% of Brazil's GDP goes towards social spending, but that's largely tied up with pensions. And if that doesn't change, then Brazil can't kind of rejig that to focus more on things like Bolsa Familia that will reduce inequality. Yes, but I, I don't know, because uh, Bolsa Familia is like 1% or 2% of the GDP, And uh, I believe it's more like a, an, a a way to scare people and say, well, we need to pass this pension reform, or otherwise Bolsa Familia is threatened. Because when you when you look closer, um, Temer's administration, which was all about austerity and reducing public spending, he didn't do that much. I remember last year he had to fight two indictment requests and the amount of money that the government spent on projects sponsored by congressmen in order to to secure their votes to reject the indictment requests against Temer. So 
there, there there's a lot of trimming down that needs to be done in the in the federal government and i don't think that it was done not to the extent that this administration talks about interesting so you think this adamant focus on pension reforms is maybe not as big a deal as the government would like to portray it as and as kind of institutions like the OECD would like to see it as no no i think it is a big deal uh the problem is uh, i don't think that the pension reform uh proposed by the government and uh will strike down privileges because the problem with the pension reform in brazil right now is that uh, it's it treats people in a very unequal way if depending on your career depending on the amount of time you worked you have very different kinds of benefits and rights and uh the problem with the way that the government is trying to pass it is that it still preserves a cast of public servants, uh, a federal public servants of uh, some careers, including judges and prosecutors, uh, careers that politicians hate to upset. But uh, we, we still get um, a lot of uh, privileged castes. And uh, um, the, the government itself says, if we approve our pension reform in five, ten years, we're going to have to approve a new one. And the problem for me is that uh, it's not that there's too much austerity, but there's not enough austerity. That It's very selective. People with uh, less money are being more punished. That's my, my thought. And I think that uh, uh, threatening to end Bolsa Familia, unless you do something, is more of a, of a, of a terrorist tactic to get your point across. Well, I think we might have to discuss that, that whole argument on another podcast because I think we're out of time for today. Thank you to all of our listeners this week. We're really glad that you joined us. If you liked what you heard, please take a few minutes to check out our reporting at the Brazilian Report. You can find new pieces on Brazilian politics, economics, and society every day on our site. That's brazilian.report. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this podcast. Please get in touch and let us know what you think or your suggestions for what else you'd like to hear from us. You can reach us via the Brazilian Reports website or Twitter. Our handle is Brazil at Brazilian underscore rep. At Brazilian underscore rep. This podcast was written and produced by me, Kira Long, for the Brazilian Report. That's all for now. We'll see you next week.